0: Get ready to grip it and rip it.
1: All right, let's move on. We got golfers waiting.
0: Dedicated to bringing better golf to America, this is Tea to Green, the
2: golf show. Talking golf. It's time to tee it up and do it again today, right here on Tea to Green, the golf show. Great to be with you once again on another Masters Sunday. Jay Ritchie and Jerry Butenoff. From the five-star Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the longtime home of T.D. Green and the home of the 2018 U.S. Senior Open, now just 11 weeks away. Welcome to a longtime T.D. Green tradition, Masters Sunday here on the Big Show. You know the Masters, full of tradition: from the green jacket, the Champions Dinner, the par three contest, the Honorable Starters, the ceremony that opens the event every Thursday. This year, it was Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player hitting the very first tee shots, along with new Masters chairman Fred Ridley. We'll hear a little bit of that on the show today. And then, like the Augusta theme, well, who doesn't? Who doesn't hear the first three piano notes of the Augusta theme and immediately identify with the masters? That was written many years back by Dave Loggins, Nashville-based singer-songwriter, Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter. And today on TD Green, he tells the story of how he came to write the theme Augusta that has been used for more than two decades now as the theme music for one of the biggest golf events in the world. Then later in the hour... There's a new book out called Tiger Woods, based on years of reporting and interviews of more than 250 people from every corner of Tiger's life, written by Jeff Benedict and Armin Katayan. and they'll be here today on T to Green. It's early Sunday morning, the sun is coming up, I'm on the T at seven, I'm here to try my luck. it's America's longest-running network radio golf show from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. At Master Control, Scott Cuddy, Jay Ritchie, Jerry Butenhoff, teeing it up and talking masters as we continue next here on Tea to Green.
0: Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with fares.
3: That's 855-325-1780.
4: Being a new parent means every high and low you can imagine. and enter the code SPORTS at checkout for $20 off. That's myevos.com. M-Y-E-V-O-Z dot
3: It has been said that everyone has a book in them. But do you have the time or the ability to write your book? Maybe you picked up some skills or had a life experience that you want to pass on in the form of a book to help others. Maybe you want to leave an autobiography for your family. Or maybe you've built a successful business and you want to share your story. Call right now. That number is 800-485-6003.
2: Your top source for golf news and entertainment on the radio, it's Tita Green, it's the golf show, and it's Masters Sunday, not more need to be said. Beyond that, Jay Ritchie, Jerry Butinoff from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And what a show we have for you today. Hope you've been able to watch a little bit of the Masters this week, Jerry.
5: Yes, yesterday and uh, today the uh, weather is giving us some ideal weather to watch golf. A little wet, chilly, so might as well sit inside and Watch some must-see TV.
2: Not the best uh, weather here in Colorado this week, which leads to uh, the TV and, of course, the Masters coverage. We're going to uh, get into that in just a little bit. Not sure how to totally describe today's show for you. Later in the hour, we'll talk to a couple of guys, Jeff Benedict and Armin Kataian, who've written a book called Tiger Woods, brand new, just uh, hitting the shelves, And uh, it's it's, it's an incredible book. We'll talk to them about that in the last couple of segments of the show. But for now, let's just get things started with the Masters edition of TD Green by taking you back to last this past Thursday
1: morning. Welcome to the playing of the 82nd Masters Tournament. Thank you for coming out this morning. I'm Fred Ridley, chairman of Augusta National Golf Club. The tradition of honorary starters is a special and fun way to start our tournament every year. This year, we are privileged to once again have with us two of the greatest golfers who have ever lived. Men whose legacies will live forever throughout the history of Augusta National. Mr. Jack Nicklaus and Mr. Gary Player. First, we welcome back from South Africa, golf's great global ambassador, a three time Masters champion who competed in a record 52 Masters tournaments. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Gary Player. Next on the tee, we proudly welcome once again our six-time Masters champion, whose record-setting accomplishments at Augusta National are unmatched still to this day, Mr. Jack Nicklaus. 18 Master's Tournament is officially underway. Let's have a great tournament.
2: When you hear that, you don't have to look outside. You don't have to check your calendar. You don't have to pick up a newspaper, go to the Internet or anything. You know when you hear that that it's Master's Week.
5: And it's the second weekend in April. You bet it is.
2: It's become so identifiable with the Masters Golf Tournament through the years. The guy that wrote the song, Dave Loggins, won a Grammy for Best Male Vocalist back in 1975
6: for this song. Please come to Boston for the springtime.
2: Dave Loggins. I'm the number one
6: fan of the man from Tennessee.
7: I was at the Masters in 81 with a good friend of mine. I just was absolutely overcome by this pristine place. There's a vibe there that you just can't describe. It's it's just so powerful. You know, if you're a songwriter, you couldn't hardly help but do something. I just started doing this. I just started going, Augusta, your dogwoods and pines, they play on my mind like a song. I thought, wow, that's fun. (laughs)
6: <laughs>
7: well, I got, you know, I, I didn't think I'd be back So that's how this happens A you that I love and a you that I'll miss when I'm gone And uh, Ken says, uh, my lawyer friend, he goes, wow, that's good And he says, you know what, we should check check with Frank about that And said, so who's Frank? He said, Frank Kennedy is the head of CBS Sports so Frank happens to have a house there, and he lives there, I think, most of the year. And to make this real brief, I was introduced to him, and I asked him if he'd ever thought about a piece of music for the tournament. And he said, oddly enough, he had been looking for one. And I said, well, you just, you just found it. When somebody's the head of CBS Sports, you've got to get their attention. So I told him that I didn't think there was anybody alive that could write this better than me. And I can do it better than anybody. He says, well, um, can you send me some kind of demo? And I said, sure, I'll have it down here in a week. And I took a big gulp. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't,
7: I didn't have anything but the chorus. So Ken and I got a book from the Augusta National, and the first thing that occurred to me was that uh, there were several people who had won twice. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll put them in there. It started occurring to me how you do it. You put the people who'd won twice and put certain majestic events like Saratham's Double Eagle, and Hogan's perfect swing, you save the best for last, like Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and um, Bobby Jones. And then the rest of it was just basically describing where the tournament is held and what it's about. I had him a demo down there in a week and flew down Thursday morning. I went in the CBS trucks with Frank Chikinian. He says, "Put put this on. So they put it on. The lyrical version, and he listened to the whole thing, and uh, I love this, by the way, y'all. He puts his arm around me, and he says, "Play it again." And they played it again. He looked at me with those, you know, big piercing eyes. He says, "You did good, son. You did really good." Good. That was Thursday night in '82. That night, uh, Kurt Gowdy played the uh, lyrical version to about a billion and a half people, and it was more than I could comprehend. Winning awards and writing hit records is one thing, but when you do something that, for a game that you love so much, every year, like you said, I hear those, those three mm-hmm. little notes, and mm-hmm. I know it's uh, I know it, the Masters is on the way, and it's springtime.
6: Well, it's springtime in the valley On Magnolia Lane It's the August. National and the master of the game Who wear that green coat on Sunday afternoon Who walked that 18th fairway singing this tune Augusta, Your dog woods and pines They play It's you that I love It's you that I miss When I'm gone. Well, it's Watson And Byron Nelson And Demeric and Clare and Sneed And it's Amen's Corner And it's Broken's Perfect Sway It's Sarazen's Double Ego At the 15th In 35 And the spirit Of Clifford Roberts That keeps it alive Augusta Your dark woods And pines They play The legends of Arnie's army and the golden bears throng. Wooden shafted legend, Bobby Jones. It's amazing how something just lasts.
7: You yeah, have no idea what what that intangible thing is that just keeps it going but I'm enjoying it and I know that a lot of other people do and hope all the people out in land love this
2: You know they did <laughs> Our friend Dave Loggins it wouldn't be the Masters without him and his beautiful tribute to Augusta National that's the Augusta thing
5: you know the the best part of that story is is you know how he you know sold himself basically he says I'm the guy that you need to write this for you and everything. And he went ahead and done it and got it whipped up so quickly. And uh, it's been uh, part of the Masters on CBS for over 30 years now.
2: And he was right. (laughs) Nobody could have have done it He was right. Yeah. The story of Eldrick Taunt Woods. The book Tiger Woods. The authors, Jeff Benedict, Armin Katayan, they're up next on this Master Sunday edition of Tea to Green, Jay and Jerry from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. The new book, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss these two guys who are up next as we continue right here on T to Green.
0: Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063, 800-957-6063. Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a
1: new car. But today, withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America. According to The Secret War, a new Swiss America white paper...
3: 800-932-5517, 800-932-5517, 800-932-5517. Once again, that's
9: 800-932-5517. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Clapper, Chief of Orthopedic Surgery at Cedars-Sinai Medical Group in Los Angeles, California
2: Destination listening for dedicated golfers. You found it once again. It's T.D. Green. It's the Golf Show. Jay Ritchie alongside Jerry Butenhoff coming to you as we do every Sunday from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Great to have you with us on a Masters Sunday edition of the big show and a lot of buzz and a lot of talk going into this year's Masters. Jerry, of course, is centered around none other than Tiger Woods making a comeback.
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's ever been a real barometer as far as how players are playing going into the Masters. Um, You know, he had some really good tournaments and now he's um, 18 strokes out going into Sunday here. So the Masters is a whole different animal compared to a lot of the other majors, I think. Um, That course is suited for certain players much more than others, I think. Uh, We've seen that over the course of time. And, um, you know, I don't know that you know the hot golfer going in doesn't always play all that well. Yeah, I have Phil Mickelson and other guys
2: this 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 week.
5: Sure, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. There's a new book out. It's called Simply Tiger Woods, and it tells the story of Tiger. And I got to be honest with you, I in full disclosure, I got the book this week. I'm I've I've haven't finished reading it. I'm pretty far into it, but I can tell you right now, just from what I've read, I think it's going to be the no matter what happens from here on out for the next 25, 30 years of Tiger's career, I think it's going to be the definitive book on the Tiger Woods story, co-authored by Jeff Benedict of the New York Times and Armin Katayan, who we've watched on HBO, on CBS for years and years and years, two award-winning journalists. They collaborated on a previous book, and they got together to write this one. They've been working on it for uh, over three years, they interviewed over 250 people about the book, and they're with us today, joining us on the T.D. Green Guest Line on this Master Sunday. Hi, guys. How are you?
10: Good morning.
2: Doing
11: great.
2: Uh, I'll start with you, Jeff. Uh, why write another book about Tiger Woods, and how do you keep this book from being just a rehash uh, with some other really good authors, like uh, John Feinstein or John Stregge, or uh, Tim Rosefort have have compiled?
11: Well, uh, first of all, neither Armin nor I are, you know, golf writers. Um, so we were taking really a biographical look at this, and all those those writers you just mentioned, they are all great writers, and we, we read all of those books uh, in preparation for doing our book. And, and we read thousands of other things that have been written about Tiger in article form and press conferences and everything else, but... What we were attempting to do was a little different, I think, than in scope and in scale compared to what's been done previously. Is to really just take a 360-degree look at Tiger's life, and and frankly, to, to home in on places that uh, hadn't been covered in these other books. For instance, the first uh, 20 years of Tiger's life, from birth till uh, his when he got to Stanford, there's a huge portion of his background and the making of Tiger Woods that really helps answer, who is this guy? That's the part of his life that we felt had really had not been penetrated very well. Um, and so Armin and I started by spending an enormous amount of time in those early years to try to explain some things about Tiger Woods.
2: Yeah. So Armin, that, that really worked to your advantage then, because you had a guy who, although he was in the public's eye for many, many years, we didn't really know that much about him, right?
10: Not really. I mean, there's so much to Tiger's life. You know, he's 42 years old, and sometimes in the reporting of the book and the writing of the book, you feel like he's lived three or four lifetimes um, because he was on the public stage at at the age of two. And as Jeff said, in order to understand Tiger and who is Tiger Woods, and, you know, despite everything that had been written, um, that question was never really answered um, in the books that we read. And many of them, you know, took very specific sections of of Tiger's life after he turned pro, like John Strady's book came out right after Tiger turned pro, and Tim Rosefort's book came out, you know, shortly after that. And then there was the, the spate of books that came out after the scandal. And, you know, Tiger's early years from um, his time in kindergarten, really, and before kindergarten, to understand what's happening to this, this shy, awkward kind of nerdy kid who stuttered until the time he was 7 years old. You need to understand Earl Woods and you need to understand his mother uh Katilda, Tita Woods and uh Jeff and I as he said we spent a lot of time uh mining um Earl's life and his background, how he met Tita and how they teamed up to um you could say, you know, engineer or program Tiger for greatness.
5: That's a very good point, there, guys, about uh, how you started that, because that makes it a true biography, where most of, some of those other books are, you know, more about golf, I guess, and, and his professional career. Um, you know, with, without you know, killing a whole lot of the uh, mystery about the book, start you start out interesting uh, in an interesting place at a cemetery in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, talk just a little bit about that part of the story.
11: Well we went there because uh you know as armin mentioned we we were we wanted to go backwards first and to get to the beginning of tiger you you do have to start with his parents and so we looked at the family tree i mean we we essentially say in the book that the roots of tiger's story is is one of the places those roots stretch back to his manhattan kansas because that's where earl's from uh where he experienced racism for the first time it's where you know he grew up in a small home and a lot of who Earl Woods is is rooted in Manhattan, so naturally we went back there, and that's that's where he's buried, and we wanted to just, you know, see the cemetery and see what was there. Um, we were shocked to find out that there was nothing there. Um, we had to, you know, talk to the sexton at that cemetery and try to get a sense of what, what we were missing. What, why isn't there a—it's not even a, a headstone, or never mind a, a monument, which— if you know Earl Woods, I mean, this is a guy who has an obituary in the New York Times. There's very few people who claim that he does, and it's because of his son, of course, but you'd think there'd at least be a, a headstone of some sort. And We talked a lot about how to open up the book, and this, this thing is so mysterious, but it also speaks to the question of how someone who's such a public figure, Tiger Woods and his dad, could have something like that, an unmarked grave. And really, nobody knows that. nobodys That's just because no one bothered to ever go back and look in the cemetery. You would just assume that there'd be something there. And we thought that that's a, a good way to open the prologue to the book, because it, it signals to the reader right away that basically this book is full of things that not only did we not know, but readers won't know, and golf people won't know, but we think it speaks volumes to the complexity of the relationships in the Woods family. Three people in the family, two parents and one child in an extreme complex home. And I think that grave speaks a lot to, to that kind of complexity.
2: Yeah, it, it hits you right between the eyes, right from, right from the very get-go and very, very effective. Did we ever find out why there's an unmarked grave for Earl Woods?
10: Well, we, we make the, I think if you understand um, the relationship, and, and I think it's one of the things we do very well in the book, is spell out the relationship between Earl and Tita. Um, you know, it was, a, it was as much of a partnership as it was a marriage. And um, as time went on, um, as we allude to, their, their physical, the intimacy in that relationship, um, fell victim to their focus of, of, of Tiger, And Earl, as as evidenced by eyewitness accounts, was often very um, abusive to Tita. He didn't treat her with a great deal of respect inside the the walls of the family home in in Cypress, California. Um, And Tiger would never do anything, we do know this, would never do anything to cross his mother, certainly um, something of that magnitude. So you have to point to Tita as the one who made the decision um, not to put a marker on that grave. And um, as you understand their relationship and you understand Earl's infidelities and, and the way that um, their marriage basically was one of convenience, they never divorced, but as soon as Tiger turned pro, they moved into separate homes. Um, Tita having a, um, a big house, you know, in Tustin, California before she moved to Florida and Earl uh, remaining in Tiger's childhood home. So, um, you don't have to be a you know a five star psychologist to figure out that this was in some form um, a Tita's revenge on everything that, that Earl had had done in, uh, during their marriage. Yeah, fascinating
2: new look at uh, the life and career, both on and off the course of Tiger Woods. It's called simply. Tiger Woods, the story of Eldrick Taunt Woods, co-authored by our guests today here on T.D. Green, Jeff Benedict and Armin Kataan, who have agreed to stick around and do another segment with us. And we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to continue talking to Jeff and Armin about the book Tiger Woods. We'll take a break right here and we'll be back with more of T.D. Green from the Broadmoor right after this.
3: If you're one of the millions of Americans who can't work because of a serious injury or illness, you may be eligible for disability benefits from Social Security. Receiving benefits is your right. It doesn't matter if you've applied before and the government has said no. Let the experienced attorneys at Bill Gordon and Associates help you get the Social Security disability you deserve. Their team of attorneys have been fighting for benefits for people just like you for over 20 years. And best of all, they there's no fee until you receive your benefits. There are many conditions that make you eligible, including some you may not even be aware of. So if you're disabled and unable to work, call Bill Gordon & Associates today for your free no-obligation consultation. See if you qualify for the Social Security benefits you need and deserve. 800-443-4996. 443 4996 That's 800 Prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-754-4531. 800-754-4531. 754 4531 That's 800-754-4531.
8: If you are age 85 or younger...
2: It's the show by golfers, for golfers, Tee to Green and a special Master's Sunday edition of Tee to Green from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's Championship Sunday in Augusta, and uh, the final round later today on CBS with Jim Nance, Nick Faldo and the boys, and Rory McIlroy and company trying to chase down Patrick Reed. More on that coming up. We continue with our guests who have co-authored the new book called Tiger Woods. We're on Tea to Green today with Armin Katayan and Jeff Benedict. Uh,
5: Jeff, maybe you can take this one. I think a lot of people the um, or, or people in general are learning about successful people who, and the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, talk about that a little bit and how it pertains to Tiger Woods.
11: Sure, that's a great question. Uh, <clears throat> Armin and I were trying to figure out a way to put in perspective the the earliness of Tiger's involvement with these rigorous practice habits that made him so good as an adult. And so we looked at Malcolm Gladwell's book, which both of us had read, and his study of people like Bill Gates and Paul McCartney and John Lennon and others who had become or were considered the greatest in their particular fields and how they got there. And the idea that they, they weren't born that way, but they outworked everyone else. It's a, it's a theory that I think does have some application of tiger what's interesting is all those other you know greats accumulated 20,000 hours when they were typically in their early 20s and when we did the basic math on tiger basically taking what earl had said and what tiger had said about his practice routines and how early he started he was he was practicing it too which is it's hard to wrap your mind around that but he was doing that as a two-year-old and it's basically all he did. By the time he was in elementary school and middle school and it's certainly high school, his life really revolved around school and practice. He practiced a lot more than he played, but he, was, he always had clubs in his hand. And we, we did basic math that figured that he got to 10,000 hours as an early teen. And when you think about that, it's hard to, it's hard to find an athlete anywhere. Michael Jordan, I don't care who you pick. Who had practiced that much, that consistently at such a young age, um, to the expense of so many other aspects of childhood, which were lost and went by the wayside. But the one thing was, he became so good at one thing. It was the thing that you could you could predict legitimately in his mid-teens that he was going to be a great uh, PGA pro. Yeah. So it was nothing but golf, could, golf, golf,
2: golf for Tiger.
10: If I could just it was nothing but golf or
11: Tiger. I'm sorry, go ahead, Armin.
10: Uh I'm just going to say that because we're on a golf show and it's kind of nice to talk just golf in some, in some ways, and um, I think one of the real strengths of the book, too, is for the pure golfer. Um, you know, I'm a, I am play a lot, and I belong to a club, and um, I understand the game. But what was beautiful, I think, for us, and I had watched Tiger for years and years, was to remind people of what his genius was truly like. And whether it was hitting a shot in 2000 at Firestone and literally a shot in the dark with an eight iron to within you know he couldn't even see the lie. it was so it was so dark he had to get down on his knees to see um, what the lie was like or the following week when he was at Glen Abbey at the Canadian Open and he hits this now sort of infamous or famous, mm-hmm six iron out of a, a sand trap, 213 yards, you know, over water to two feet past the pin to his, you know, savant like ability um, with a wedge in his hand or the feel of a, um, of a driver that was literally two grams heavier than the other drivers he was testing. He could tell the difference. It was fun to remind people because a lot of this generation, the current generation that plays golf um you know, weren't even born in, 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 in many ways when Tiger was at his peak, or we're in there, you know, we're in middle school. So, to write about genius, and Jeff was talking about the 10,000 hours, and that's really what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with geniuses. And um, so, from that perspective, um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, our target audience, the 5 million, you know, hardcore golfers in this country that love the game and are out early on Saturday and Sunday playing, um, that they would feel like they got something that was unique and special in this book, too.
2: Yeah. And it was his his father, of course, Earl, the driving force behind all that, used a lot of psychological tricks and psychological warfare uh, in in Tiger's golf training. What was... Can you explain to our listeners what the meaning of the, of the code word enough was all about?
11: <laughs> That's a... That's an interesting word that Earl chose to give his son, and it's the word that he told him if, if he ever, essentially, if Earl was ever pushing him too hard or driving him too hard, he could say enough. And, of course, Tiger never uttered that word. And prior to working on this book, Armand and I were aware that Earl had, he, he used to talk a lot about the things he did with Tiger to train him to be good. And he, he'd talk in, almost in funny terms about jingling coins in his pockets or dropping things when Tiger was swinging to, to disrupt him and interfere. But Earl never talked about some of the things that he did that were much more intense than that and I think much more questionable. Um, he used some, some language with Tiger when Tiger was quite young that was, I think if you view it through today's standards for sure, you'd, you'd probably describe it as abusive. Um, he called his son names that I think most dads would probably never use with their children. He used
2: the N-word a lot, too, didn't he? he, Yeah, he did. He
11: referred to Tiger with the N-word. And it's, to us, Armin and I had many discussions as we were not only researching it, but writing it and trying to figure out how we framed some of these things. Because Earl, Earl, on one hand, liked to brag and take credit for making Tiger a great golfer. But on the other hand, there were things that he did that I don't think he was real eager to have the public know about turned Tiger into who he is, not only a great golfer, but off the course. uh, Tiger had a lot of issues uh, that were we'll call social impediments in high school and even in college, made it hard for him to form relationships, made it difficult for him to have conversations with people. In high school, most people knew him as the kid who walked down the hall with his head down, who didn't engage with people, who didn't have any friends, um, I think that all of that can be traced back to the Woods Finishing School, which is what Earl referred to his <laughs> training as a finishing school. And it's interesting that Tiger looks back on it now and with a lot of praise for his dad. And I think on one hand, that's understandable that he does. But the fact is, is that some of the stuff that Earl did, um, it was it was pretty cre- questionable and pretty harsh
5: yeah maybe some of it was was unfinished even um (laughs) guys i I read a i read a really good letter to sports illustrated just last night uh referring back to an article that uh, michael bamberger had our friend had written just a couple weeks ago relating to tiger's um you know indifference to the fans that helped create his popularity um does that uh, theme uh, show up in your book uh, a few places i would imagine Oh yeah,
10: I mean Tiger. You know Tiger was not um, for long stretches, and just uh, to give him some um, some perspective here, imagine being 21 years old, winning the Masters. Basically, you're rearranging the furniture in professional golf, socially, culturally, financially, racially, and all the pressures and in in the adulation that, that comes with that. And because, as Jeff suggested, Tiger was not a very well formed. Um, individual. Um, he was really g- programmed or engineered for one thing, and to change the game of golf, which he did. But it comes with a price, um, and it comes with a human price more often than not. And as you guys well know, his reputation among the tour pros was one of, you know, he was a cold-blooded assassin. He was icy and indifferent to relationships among um, his tour pros because he saw them as nothing more than um, in many ways, it's just competitors that were in his way, on his way to to winning, you know, 14 majors and 79 tour events. But you know, in our book, you you get the human cost of those of that attitude for people that did nothing more than want to help Tiger. Um, whether it was you know the fractured relationship with Marco Mira in the end, or how he treated a woman who Jeff interviewed, named Peggy Lewis, whose house the Tiger had stayed at for years at Augusta, or other individuals that did, you know, were brought into Tiger's inner circle, um, only to be kind of excommunicated from the, the Church of Woods. So um, that, in long stretches of the book, there's, it's hard to like Tiger. And Jeff and I spent hours talking about the you know, the arc of the book and how we felt about Tiger in certain sections of the book, whether it was sadness or whether it was awe or whether it was, you know, anger as to how he was treating people. But um, now uh, we, we fully believe that that he's a changed man in a lot of ways, particularly in his relationships with with people on tour. Um, I saw him at Tory. Uh, in late January at the Farmer's Insurance Open, and I, I had been around Tiger a lot in three years observing him. I'd never seen him that engaged with fans and that appreciative and that grateful. And I think a lot of that comes out of what happened, you know, last Memorial Day weekend in the, the DUI arrest down in Florida.
2: We're talking to Armand Hutan. And Jeff Benedict, their new book is called Tiger Woods, and we haven't even gotten to the stuff of the last since 2009—the the Elan Woods thing with the nine iron and all that. We'll just leave that for the readers. But uh, in the time we have left, guys, maybe uh, uh, I'm I'm curious. Do you think Tiger has read your book and what his reaction might be to it?
10: Jeff, you go first. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well,
11: obviously it's pure speculation. Who knows? Um, We've obviously gotten a response from from Steinberg, his agent. But, you know, uh, what we know about Tiger is he reads everything that's written about him. Um, He he liked to suggest that he didn't, but we know from our uh, interactions with other journalists, you mentioned some of them at the top of the show, Feinstein, uh, many of these guys, uh, they were writing things, and Tiger would act like he doesn't read anything, but he knew every critical word that they had written when uh, when it was written. So we don't know whether he's read our book or not, but um, the pattern is in the past he, he reads what's written about him.
2: And I would think, you know, uh, I,
11: Armin, that make, would,
10: even I'd, if
2: even if I everything's a hundred percent correct, he still probably won't like it.
10: Yeah, I think I don't think you know, knowing you know. Mark Steinberg and Glenn Greenspan is chief spokesman the way that we we do after, you know, communicating with certainly with Glenn over the last two years in in an attempt, a failed attempt to get an interview with Tiger. Um, I I think Tiger would learn something about himself, because I don't think Tiger knows a lot of the things that we know about his life, um, simply because he was in this cocoon um, for so long, uh, protected by his parents. And I, I certainly know that he doesn't know how certain people feel about him, um, that have interacted with him and and how his interactions with them um, affected those people. So, you know, uh, I'll leave it to others or you know, figure out whether Tiger's going to read the book. But I think, um, you know, he would learn a lot about um, himself if he did.
5: Guys, if he has changed, uh, like you're saying and and maybe hoping for, maybe we're seeing a little bit of that already. Um, Six, eight years ago, pick your time frame, we never would have seen him playing a practice round with Mickelson at the Masters. That's for sure. Well, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's some great stuff in this book about, you know, Tita used to
10: call. She was not afraid to, to throw a few words around, and she used to call Phil fat boy. You know, what fat boy shoot today? What fat boy shoot today? And she called Sergio crybaby, what crybaby shoot today. So she wasn't afraid to, you know, to throw it out there with these guys. And, and there are, um, I was shocked. I mean, I think Phil, to his credit, has been so gracious towards Tiger um, in, in public. And they've obviously had a few issues over the years. But um, a lot of that has to do with Tiger and, and how he perceives his rivals. Um, once Phil, he, Tiger knew once Phil won one major, he was gonna win, win a bunch of majors because he had the kind of the guts in the game, you know, to contend. He wasn't gonna be afraid on Sunday in the back nine of a major to to to, um, to man up against Tiger. And Tiger had a um and a calculator sort of in, in his head as he was weighing um or scale in his head as he was weighing potential rivals and, and and Phil definitely was in that category. And it's nice to see them now at this stage of their lives and their careers.
6: All right, you know,
10: like doing that Buddy movie as they did this week at
1: Augusta.
2: Yeah. Hey, uh, gosh, I wish we had more time, but we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, whether you are a golf golfer, a golf fan or not, whether you are a Tiger Woods fan or whether you can't stand the guy, <laughs> this is a must read. It's called simply Tiger Woods, Jeff Benedict and Armin Catan, the co-authors. And it's available right now, isn't it, guys?
5: Oh, yeah. It's all yes. over the place.
2: <laughs> and all the usual hey, spots Jerry, thank
5: you so much hey great stuff fellas terrific thank uh, you
2: amazon bookstores near you to pick it up tiger woods jeff benedict armand Katayan with us today on Cheetah green well it is the final day maybe of the masters you never know any all the tournaments seem to be going into overtime these days on all of the tours But the final round is set for today at Augusta. And Jerry's taking us there when we continue next from the Broadmoor here on Tee to Green.
0: 5-1.
2: fastest hour in radio, the quickest hour in golf, to Green. Before we wrap things up, Jerry's here to take us to Augusta.
5: Congratulations, by the way, to Pernilla Lindbergh for the eight-hole playoff to yes. win the A&A last week. That went into Monday like you were mentioning here. Hopefully we won't need Monday to uh, finish what's going on today. Patrick Reed is our leader by three strokes at the Masters. He's at minus 14, three ahead of Rory McIlroy. The difference, really, right now is that On 13 and 15 yesterday, Rory went one under. Reed went four under as he eagled both of them. Pretty good recovery shot on 14 by Patrick to uh, get that par there. Ricky Fowler is at minus nine. John Rahm is at minus uh, eight. Uh, Rory, Ricky, and Rahm all with 65s yesterday. And Henrik Stenson still lurking at minus seven. So, and then there's uh, five more players within a couple of shots of that point then. Um... You know if Reed puts like he's been, it's going to be tough to catch him. If he shoots 69, but if he it hovers will. around par, it'll be close.
2: We'll see. You. Enjoy the final round today and until next time. Thanks for listening. Hit him long. Hit him straight.